What is the role of the church? Why are we here? Not, not here vaguely, but here in this room together. What is God's purpose for the church? It is his church after all. It is his idea. He is the head of the church. We've been looking at this and asking this question through the lens of Ephesians uh, as we're making our way through our series, Whole and Holy. <clears throat> and today we come to the center point in our series of Ephesians, Whole and Holy. Paul's entire message in this passage is summarized by the very first verse. Let me read it for you. Ephesians 4, 1. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is a linchpin between the first three chapters and the last three chapters of Ephesians. The first three, which focus on God and who he is and all he has done for us, and the last three, which focus more on us, how we're to respond to this great gift God has given us. And this verse connects the two. Given all that God has done, given all that we, his followers, have received, this is how we're to live. Live a life worthy of what you have been called to. It reminds me of an immigrant father writing to his son as he goes off to college. An elite school he got into, the first of his generation. Make me proud, son. Show them what our name means. If we're to live into all that we have received, let me take a brief moment to remind us what we have received, according to Pastor Paul in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless, whole and holy, our series title. He adopted us as his children. He lavished his grace on us and riches. He sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit as a deposit that the rest of his good work would be completed in us. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, he has given us hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him far above all other power. Ephesians 2, 5, when we were dead, he made us alive in Christ, and he created us with good works to do. The world could use some good works, could it not? Verse 10, Ephesians 2, 11 to 21, he obliterated the dividing wall of hostility, making one new humanity, such that if we are in Christ, our differences are not as great as what unites us. He made us members of his household, and God, as the master builder, is joining us little building blocks together to become a holy temple where he lives and is represented. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now, through the church, <laughs> this imperfect, messy, can't always get our act together group of people, the saints, through us. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. And Ephesians 3.17, we are 
where the risen Christ takes up residence, where Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do you see now why it matters that we live a life worthy of the calling we've received? Because it's a high calling. Any marketing people out there? We are God's PR in the world. We are how the risen and ascended Christ takes up room on this earth. Jesus has risen and ascended and passed the baton to us. We are the only, I'm going to try to move this back, Alex. I know it's, let's see if that's better. We have a new headset in the mail, but you know things are slow these days. Okay. Risen Christ taking up residence on this earth. We're the only body of Christ people can see or experience. Eugene Peterson says it this way, church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. I began my tenure as senior pastor with a series on the kingdom of God, this good news that Jesus brings that this world is not all there is. Thanks be to God. (laughs) That God is going to make it all right in the end, friends. That shalom is coming. No more wars. No more senseless acts and tragedies. No more sickness or disease or death. No more broken relationships. That's good news. But we as a church serve as a witness to that. We testify that this world is not all there is, that there is a better way, Jesus' way. Jesus' last words before he ascended were both a charge and a promise. You will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. And the church in every generation and iteration has got to hold fast to this mission Because there are still a lot of people, as Ephesians 2, 12 describes, without hope and without God in this world. And I know you are thinking of some of those people right now. So despite the fact that the challenges are many, the mission is urgent. Live a life worthy of this calling you've received. Our calling is to represent Jesus to our community, individually and collectively, to become whole and holy, meaning to represent Christ fully, the whole picture of him in every way, and to do it accurately, blamelessly. So with that introduction, let me read our passage for us now. And then I want to highlight three ways we can live out this calling together. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you do that? Oh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, you can put your finger up, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace, can also be translated gift, has been given like how we wanted. No, as Christ apportioned it. I'm going to skip down to verse 11 for the sake of time. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Because from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to highlight three ways in which we live out this calling God has given us, and it is painful for me to limit it to these, but we have an annual meeting to get to. So I want you, I invite you to soak in this text this week and hear what other words the Holy Spirit might have for you. I have a good friend who says preaching is the first word, not the last word, and I hope that's the case this week. This is the first word that you chew on throughout the rest of the week with the Holy Spirit. Okay, three characteristics of a healthy church. Paul has been giving us a vision for God's church throughout this letter. These are traits I long for, for us, and I believe you do too. First, our life together, meaning how we treat one another, matters. Now, this may sound inward-focused, and isn't the church supposed to be outward-focused and to represent Christ outside these walls? Yes, but according to Paul, how we live together is one of the most powerful, convincing testimonies we can give. Look at how Paul starts this passage. Live a life worthy of the calling. This is the high charge, the high calling. You think, yeah, I'm in, let's do this. Let's unveil the new initiative, Paul. Nope. Verses two to three. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. Frankly, it sounds far more glamorous to launch a new program to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love, that's a lot harder. That is work. I, I've heard a definition of marriage. <laughs> marriage is putting up with one another. <laughs> and at times, that's what it is. Like the church, family members. 
It's so interesting that Paul begins here, that this is the first point he makes. How we do things matters as much as what we do. Or to put it another way, the end goal isn't our only measurement. It's the means as well. It's the product as well as the process. I am struggling here, but I'm going to look to Alex and make sure you're okay. I'm okay. All right, just keep sliding down. So, hey, we're keeping it real. It is not just what we do. It is how we do it. It is not just the product. It is the process. Or to put it another way, the end goal isn't the only means of our measurement. It's the means, the tone of the Christian life matters. And I think if you think about this, this makes sense. Because why would anybody watching us want to hear what we have to say if it doesn't have integrity? If we preach about and follow a God of love, but don't live a life of love, why would anyone listen? If we say we're united in one, but are characterized instead by dissension and unresolved conflicts, what kind of power or integrity does that have? Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. If you do great programs, if you love one another. Paul's going to return to this in verse 16 when he concludes, did you catch that when I read it? grows and builds itself up in love. Verses four to six, Paul gives us the theological reasoning for this. We are one, united together in Christ. We are different people, different gifts, different personalities, different socioeconomic means, different experiences, different politics. But our sameness overrides all of those, or should. One body one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father all. Can Paul make it any more clear? Paul's urging is clear in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity. Friends, we are not working to create unity. That's a reality that already exists, which Paul described in Ephesians 2. But we do have to work at maintaining it. Because in this fallen world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, so says Ephesians 2.2, 2, our unity is constantly being threatened. It's constantly at stake, vulnerable to external opposition and internal eroding. Picture being at a beach at an ocean with a strong tide. When you've played in the water for a little bit, you, you get out and you realize, oh, I, I've drifted. I'm not where I came in. That's the same principle here. There's no such thing as neutral unity, <laughs> meaning if we aren't actively working towards it, it's going to be in decline. We have to constantly be working at it. So Paul urges us, as the message says, get out there on the road God has called you to travel and mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love alert at noticing differences, quick at mending fences. If you've looked at the materials provided for our annual meeting, and if you stay for that meeting, 
you will hear that our third focus this year is on strengthening relationships or building relationships. And this is in part what we're getting at here. We want our witness externally to have integrity by how we treat one another. There are a lot of ways we can do this. And uh, I trust the Holy Spirit, who is an amazing translator, to say to you what that should be. But let me give you just a few ideas that could happen on a Sunday or throughout the week. You could invite someone to sit near you for a worship service. Most people don't prefer to sit alone. And that act of inclusion could be quite meaningful, especially if someone is coming alone. Do you know how hard that is to show up in a church alone when most people are sitting with families? You could smile and introduce yourself to somebody nearby where you're sitting. Loneliness is the epidemic of our time, and that was true before 2020. I know everybody is waiting for someone to come talk to them, but, uh, and you always feel like, but I'm new. But friends, I'm going to tell you, if you've been here three or four times, you're no longer new. You get to welcome someone else into this space. Throughout the week, you could go on a walk or have coffee or have people in your home for a meal. These kinds of gatherings build a foundation on which we can then love one another because we cannot love those whom we do not know. Those are just some crawl steps. Here's a walk or run step. As the message says, mend fences. Make, make it right between you and someone else as far as it depends on you. That meeting didn't go very well or there's some tension among some group members that just keeps surfacing. Maybe that's your step to open up and have a conversation. Note in this passage that loving is defined both as bearing with one another in verse 3 and speaking the truth in love, verse 16. In fact, the passage next week has a lot to say about this, what we do with our anger or frustration or disappointment and how we choose to use our words. I'm going to leave that for Devin to tackle next week, but bearing with one another does not mean we do not have hard conversations. We just have to have them for the right reason, not to vent, but to build up the body and the other person and in the right way. Because unless those issues are addressed, we will drift from the unity and oneness and love God wants for us, the love we actually need to accurately represent who God is to our watching world. Our life together matters, friends. That's why Paul's first way uh, he calls us to attention is this. May we commit to doing that as a church and individually this week and always. Second, second way we live out this calling is an extension of pursuing that unity. Now this, I don't know if you've thought about it this way. But I want you to. This is an extension of unity, is offering the gifts God has given us for the common good, verses 7 to 12. And here I mean for both the good of the church inside and outside. Verse 7, but to each one of us, 
the word can be translated, grace can be translated gift, has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ has given gifts to his church. Some of those gifts are leaders, verse 11. But Paul makes very clear that the job of leaders, did you catch it in verse 12? Is to equip God's people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 16 puts an exclamation point on it when it says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as the staff who are paid to do the work do it. Someone. No, as each part does its work. The picture Paul is painting here is of people, the people of God, offering their unique contribution for the good of the whole. Just as our human bodies function precisely because of the uniqueness of each part, so too we are more effective because of our differences, our unique gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes into much more detail about this. And again, he uses the analogy of the body to make the point, it's our diversity that makes us effective. It can drive us nuts too, but it is a gift from God to get all the work done, to accurately represent who God is. Listen to how Paul starts with the same concept of unity, even in the midst of diversity. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7 There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of of the Spirit is given for what? Say it. For the common good. Aha! So gifts are not given for a sense of fulfillment, even though we are fulfilled when we operate in our gifts. They are given for the good of the group. That is always a really good test of whether someone is in the right role using their gift, whether it benefits the whole body or not. This is great. Verse 15. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. We do not want a body full of eyes. I actually looked for an image of this and I toned it down because it was way too creepy. You do not want to know the art people are doing and Google eyes all over their bodies. So I went with Monsters, Inc. to make it a little more palatable. I am always thinking about little eyes and ears here. And human body, I went with the kids version. Okay, so we don't want a body full of eyes. That's not a body. We want eyes and ears and nose and mouth and hands. So too, we don't want a church full of preachers or a church full of musicians or a church full of leaders or a church full of prophets or a church full of people who serve or give or bleeding hearts, people with mercy. We want and we need a church full of all those parts. And the job of the leader is to help each part go to work. 
to help people find where they fit in the life of the church, offering what God has given them for the good of the group. I love how Paul milks this body analogy because this word equip in verse 12 was used in the first century medical writings to refer to setting a broken bone. So tender, so necessary. Leaders are to put each part in order, to realign what's out of place, to ensure each part reaches the full potential for which it was created, and to ensure it stays connected to the other parts in such a way that they're functioning as they should be. Because when each part is in the right place, the sum is truly greater than the parts. I just finished the New York Times best-selling book on teamwork, that's why I read it, uh, The Boys in the Boat, which I just learned yesterday, I'm so excited, hits theaters Christmas, I think that's the next slide there. This is about a nine-man rowing team from the University of Washington that goes on to win Olympic gold in the Berlin Olympics in 1936 during the rise of Nazi Germany. There was a Jewish person on the team. Uh, these, this is an amazing underdog story. The team is composed mostly of poor working class kids who were hit hard by the Great Depression, but who in the end beat crew giants like Princeton and Oxford and Cambridge. But it's not the grit of the individuals on the team that makes them so unbeatable. It's actually how they work together in unison when they hit what's called in rowing their swing. Swing is when not a single action by anyone is out of sync with all the others. It feels as if the boat is part of them. So picture 16 rowers, plus your coxswain up front guarding, every knee jerking back, every shoulder blade in perfect unison, gliding across the water as if they're flying over it. It is euphoric. You can't touch them when they're in their swing. That's my desire for us as a church, that we each find our role and then work together to hit our swing, to flow together so effortlessly that we accomplish much more together than we can individually. And I want to tell you, I have gotten glimpses of this, even in my three months in this role. And it is energizing and inspiring and deeply motivating. And again, you can recognize this if you look at our annual meeting packet, that the first focus listed for this ministry year is building healthy teams. We want to see teams of people with diverse gifts united for the same purpose, to do something for the good of the group <laughs> and the good of the group, the community. So I want to ask you, what is it God might be prompting you to do? What are you passionate about that you want to see happen in this community? Maybe now is time to be part of the solution. Now, obviously, not as someone on our board pointed out very astutely, not everyone should join a team. 
Some people's part is truly the worker bee role, where you participate by showing, showing up and serving. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. And others of you have experienced major tragedy or loss or are walking alongside others who have. Some are caregivers right now dealing with your own or others' health issues. And if that's you, maybe this isn't for you right now. God always works within the confines of our limitations. Remember, we're going for healthy teams. And the fastest way to kill health is to um, guilt or shame people. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to freely invite people and trust that God's spirit is guiding the right parts to be put together. But some of you may want to consider how you can contribute your part, and I hope you will. This is one way we live out the calling we have received. We offer the gifts God has given us back to him in service to his church. Okay, third and very briefly, because we've hit on this before in this letter, we live out the calling we've received by growing in the likeness of Christ. We are to grow up and mature in him. Verses 12 to 13, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people. We all start as babies, new creations, the Bible says. And then we need to grow up or mature in Christ-likeness. But this is a process. This takes time. Eventually, we are to look more like Jesus individually and collectively, like a couple that's been married for almost 60 years. This is Jan and Eugene Peterson. They are both deceased now, but I love this photo. And I've been quoting Peterson a lot in this series, so you might as well see what he looks like. But look at that. I mean, do they look alike or what? <laughs> Just like a couple starts to look like each other as they spend time together over the years, we too are to look more like Jesus the longer we spend time with him. And that's the primary metric we're to use in determining success. But friends, unfortunately for us in our instant culture, time-lapse, speed-running culture, maturity takes time. It cannot be hurried. There's no time lapses to speed it up, which means when we look around this room, we have to keep in mind we are not only diverse in physical age, we are diverse in spiritual age. Some of you are brand new to exploring faith. You're not even sure if you're in on this yet. And I want to say we are thrilled that you are here we want you to keep exploring safely. This is why you cannot, when somebody says, oh, someone in your church, you know, did this, that, whatever. It used to be like smoking outside the building. We cannot judge who walks in this place, what they're wearing, who they're with, how they engage or not in the worship service. Let people be where they are. God is at work in their lives, and we want new life here, do we not? So let's let it happen. It is a process. For those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, we'd better keep in mind there's huge diversity in ages. 
We are all on our way to measuring up in the fullness of Christ, but we aren't there yet. Spiritually speaking, we've got toddlers in diapers. We've got children innocent and pure in their understanding of faith. We've got adolescents rebelling. We've got midlifers who got distracted along the way and are hoping it's not too late to get back to what they missed. We've got wise saints who now have years of seeing God's faithfulness and track record. So let's learn from one another. Let's not compare ourselves to one another. It's like in running. It's PR. We compare ourselves with ourselves. How much we looked like Jesus six months ago, one year ago, five years ago. But that doesn't mean we take maturity lightly. Paul urges us in this passage just as he urges us to make every effort to keep the unity that if left unattended, immaturity cannot be treated as a neutral state. We're just going to outgrow in due time. No, that is not what he says. He says it is a highly dangerous condition because it leaves us vulnerable to the winds and the waves. This is just, I mean, seriously, you're trying my patience, microphone. (laughs) Are you the gift of God to me today? No. Okay. Uh, uh, It just keeps slipping down. Where was I? Who wants to tell me where I am? Is anyone paying attention? I know where I am. I'm just curious. Are you? Okay. Just like uh, it's not neutral, immaturity. We don't just wait to grow up. We've got to be a part of it. It's dangerous to be vulnerable and to stay immature. We are tossed by the winds and the waves. It gets us off track, which is why we devote time every week in this service to studying God's word to bring us back to what is central. But the responsibility for maturity doesn't rest solely on the church and what it provides. It's on each one of us as well. So let me ask you now by way of application, can you honestly say you are becoming more like Jesus? More full of joy, hope, love, forgiveness, grace, Humility, gentleness, compassion, justice. What are we doing to become more like him? What would you like to do to become more like him? In closing, verse 1 summarizes what this passage is about. Live a life worthy of the calling to which you have received. More literally, the calling to which you've been called. The body of Christ the community of the called, have a calling. Or as one writer put it, God's call and our calling fuse into church. He has called. He has provided the resources. All we need to do is respond. May it be so among us. For the challenges are many, but friends, the mission is urgent, is it not? Let's pray. We're so glad that you're the head of this church, (laughs) that you are the head of the church for 2,000 years in all the mess and opposition and challenge and weakness and frailty and failings even. 
You are faithful to your church. And as we sang earlier, we are standing on your faithfulness. But Lord, we want to live lives worthy of the calling to which you have called us. Because it's not only good and fulfilling for us, our world needs it. And we know that. So we ask you now by your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. Remind us of who you want us to be. Give us clarity for who you want us to be in this specific location. Would you stir up your people now? This we pray in Jesus' name and it is always for his sake. Amen.